CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been waiting for this interview for a long, long time. That's correct. The myth, the legend, David Glowatz, the man they call Mr. Bike, the man who also chronicles for the Ben Jarofsky Show, the antics of the Chicago City Council is here. Yes, indeed. He's our correspondent. He's our paid city council correspondent. Your check's in the mail, paid by, right? Paid by whom? We sent you the check. You didn't get it? <laughs> Man, you got, I got the Cadillac. <laughs> did uh, I spell Glowats wrong? I think you did. <laughs> All right. So uh, we've been promoting, Dave, this uh, segment for a while. Dave and I talked about it last week. We um, Let me do, just do a preamble, and we'll get right to it. Uh, Dave's going to take us through this as he's done. I think this is the fourth time we've done this. So anyway, uh, last week, the Chicago City Council faced a monumental decision. Should they relinquish their oversight authority, their uh, legislatively mandated authority uh, to uh, approve budgets and, and expenditures? Should they give that authority over to Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, in, the, uh, in the pandemic. In other words, this is such a public health crisis that the city has to blow up whatever semblance we have of legislative check on the executive branch of government and just allow the mayor until when, some point in June, I can't remember the exact uh, rescission date. June 30th. June 30th. Until June 30th, have authority over or the- Or sooner. What's that? Or sooner if the commissioner of public health decides. Yes, or sooner. I'll uh, I'll bet you anything you want in Vegas, they'll never exercise the and sooner part. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so should they uh, give up their authority uh, to the mayor? Is this crisis so dangerous that they had to do so? There were two meetings on this subject uh, last week. Uh, virtual city council meetings. They were Zoom. City council loves Zoom. Oh, Ben loves Zoom. <laughs> Dr. Howard Ehrman really loves Zoom. Uh, ben, we're going to Zoom this interview. Uh, anyway, so they they uh, had a virtual meeting, two of them. And the meetings were going on while I was on the air, but Dave Glowatz was dutifully following them, and he's uh, put together a montage of clips of the alderman saying this, that, and the other thing, and the mayor saying this, that, and the other thing. We're going to analyze them and uh, come to a decision as to whether it was warranted. Uh, just so you know, Dave, I know you know this, but I'm going to say this. Uh, I've had this, this will be the third time I've discussed this at, at length on the show, uh, and I've already made it clear, I wrote a column on this, that I, if I were an alderman, I would have voted no, not to give the mayor that authority. I have been outvoted on my own show. All right, Dave. I've had two guests. And however, however, you had many more people voting with you than you normally would have, namely twenty-one. Yes, aldermen, which is many more than usually vote against a mayoral initiative. Yes, and for our listeners from uh, out of Chicago. I urge you to stay with us in this. I know we're not going to really get into Donald Trump in this thing. It's a local show. Uh, I've been covering Chicago politics since the 1980s. Dave Gloatz has been covering Chicago politics at least since the early part of the 21st century. So it's two Chicago political geeks really taking the deep dive uh, on Chicago politics and the way our bizarre system of government uh, goes down here in the, uh, in the city of Chicago. Uh, so I think that's enough of a preamble. Uh, Dave, why don't you take it away? This thing that we're talking about is actually an ordinance that was passed by the city council on April 24th. And this thing, let's call it the Emergency Powers Ordinance, which the mayor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, was looking to get passed by the council. And what it does is it gives her department heads pretty much unprecedented emergency powers to address the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic that has us talking on the phone rather than in person. And the ordinance gives the mayor's department heads 
several powers. One is to reallocate funds within the city's 2020 budget. Another thing it does is it, it lets the city enter into pandemic-related contracts of up to a million dollars without the city council, again, approving. Here's an interesting one. It lets the city, well, it, it empowers the city to lease and occupy property and indemnifying the property owners from any kind of liability, like if somebody wants to sue them for, you know, tripping or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's, a, that's an interesting one. I wonder if anybody's going to uh, take the city up on that one in terms of lawsuits. Wait, now, time out. What is it? One more time, run that by me. So normally when the city leases, say, you know, leases, I don't know, McCormick Place, you know, the, um, the owner of the property is required to have liability insurance. So if somebody were to fall and break their leg, they wouldn't sue the city. That, or if they sued the city, because you know, people can sue whoever they want, right? They, the property owner would have liability insurance so that settlements or damages would be covered. This ordinance lets the city, it says, you know what, property owners, we're going to let that slide for pandemic-related leases or occupations of property. So that's, that's an interesting. Mm. So in other words, the city would be uh, on, on the, the hook. hook. Yep. Okay. Uh, and then a third, another thing it does is that uh, normally when city contractors enter into a contract, they before they enter into a contract, they have to file what's called an economic disclosure statement that says they have these cousins who are related to city department heads, you know, things like that, mm -hmm. that shows you know po possible conflicts of interest. And this ordinance allows vendors to not submit those at time of contract, but to wait up to two months before doing that. Again, just for pandemic-related contracts. And all these things, as you mentioned earlier, uh, these, these powers for the administration uh, are what they call self-repealing by June 30th, or when the city's public health commissioner, and I'll quote from the ordinance, quote, makes, which I have right here, mm. which, uh, quote, makes a written determination that the threat to public health posed by the COVID-19 virus has diminished, unquote, sufficiently, whichever comes soon, mm. whether the commissioner says that or June 30th. All right, I would say if I had to uh, put money down in Vegas, there's a greater chance of the mayor asking the council to extend this uh, executive authority as opposed to having the health commissioner uh, cut it off but we shall see as they say we shall see uh, all right and Any you know mm -hmm. the, the uh, mayor initially wasn't going to go to the council for these hours she just kind of gave it to herself in march you know about that right i do i talked about that in a column i just wrote about this but why don't you uh, uh alert people to what went down go ahead well, the, the ordinance does all these things that I just talked about. Well, the mayor actually gave herself the power to do all those things <laughs> in an executive order that she issued on March 18th. And then evidently she decided it would be prudent to actually get it codified by ordinance rather than just giving herself the power to do it. And that's why we're having this conversation today. Otherwise, you know, she was just like, oh, good to go. <laughs> and and uh, the point I put out in my reader column is I gave all the credit to young David Glowatz because uh, Dave wrote a story for the reader that ran, I think, last week. I've lost track of time, Dave. Uh, which And you were starting to research that story, and you were dutifully calling all the uh, the major players involved, the mayor's office, uh, her aldermanic allies. And uh, I think that's what triggered... Uh, the notion that, yeah, maybe this would be a good idea to have the city council voluntarily relinquish these powers as opposed to me just grabbing them. Because, first of all, somebody, the, uh, if she started, if she started doling out contracts, Dave, on the virtue of an executive order alone without having the city council uh, uh, give, officially given her that authority, I think there's very likely that somebody would have filed suit 
saying she doesn't have the right to do this. Uh, and so then the very thing she says she wanted to accomplish, which is quick draw financing of you know various COVID-19 related gear or protective equipment uh, would have been able to act quickly. Yes. She would have been suddenly fight in a lawsuit. It would have undercut that. So uh, that's why I gave all the credit to Dave Glowatz because the decision, it seemed as though there was just a correlation between you're making those phone calls and the mayor just saying, eh, maybe it's a good idea to uh, have the city council approve the ordinance. Do you think I'm giving you too well, much credit? Well, we don't know. I appreciate the credit, but we don't know. But we, we do know that when the press looks into things, that's what helps. Who said it? Uh, was it was it a long, a long ago senator, uh, Proxmire? Maybe you remember who said this, but sunshine is a disinfectant when it comes to government. You know, I think very good for Proxmire. William Proxmire, the Democratic senator from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. He may have said that. Uh, Anyway, uh, Dave's being very modest on today's show. You should have heard him at the weekend. Yo, Ben, it was me who did it. You know that, don't you? No, I just, he did not do that, ladies and gentlemen. I did everything, man. I don't get any credit. No, he did not do that, okay? <laughs> Sorry. Well, let's talk about the ordinance. All right, let's, let's get down to business. Me. Go ahead. Well, the um, the mayor, uh, you mentioned a while ago that there were two meetings uh, last week where this ordinance is proposed, when it was proposed by the mayor's office, it went through a couple of meetings, it actually went through three meetings. There was a budget committee meeting on April 21st, mm-hmm. which was pretty well attended. It was almost the entire city council. It was 34 committee members on the budget committee, plus I think nine other non-committee members. And that was a marathon, that was a four hour budget committee meeting, and this was the only item on the agenda. So uh, Alderman got to talk about why they agreed or dis- disagreed with passing this ordinance and giving the mayor the power. And I think that there, there are two sort of main arguments that Alderman made about why uh, they might not want to give this power away. And one is that uh, sort of equity ordinance. And in terms of the resources given to particular Chicago communities during the pandemic, Alderman wanted to make sure that when the city awarded contracts for uh, provision of equipment or for services to particular wards with large concentrations of people of color or low-income residents, they wanted to, Alderman wanted to make sure that those areas that were disproportionately affected by the COVID-19 virus got their fair share of resources. And they were loath to um, give license to the mayor to spend money however she wanted without that city council oversight. And there is nothing in the ordinance as it was passed that addresses that. So that was a um, that was an issue. The second issue, sort of a bigger issue, is Alderman didn't want to lose appropriation authority because currently controls around um, city government are such that the council has final say when it comes to large expenditures, namely hundreds of millions of dollars that are very possible with this um, pandemic, and the council doesn't want to lose oversight over that. So we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to listen to some of the aldermen who talked during the, um, there were two, also two other city council meetings after the budget committee meeting. There was a uh, following day, the 22nd, was a scheduled city council meeting that um, was supposed to address passage, the final passage of the ordinance. Five aldermen got together and did a parliamentary maneuver that caused the mayor to recess the meeting till two days later when the ordinance did get passed. So we're going to listen to some aldermen who talked during the um, May, April 24th, the uh, recess, uh, the, re, the unrecessed meeting of the city council. Okay. You with me so far? Yes, follow you. Everybody uh, at home, just to uh, help help you out, uh, their ultimate the ultimate meeting 
where the matter was voted on was just this Friday of the 24th of April. There had been a meeting on Wednesday, April 22nd. The, the city council was supposed to vote on it then. And uh, some of the uh, aldermen pulled a parliamentary uh, maneuver that forced the matter to be uh, reconsidered at another meeting. And so they immediately had 48 hours. They had another meeting. This sort of undercutting the notion uh, that you can't get quick action from the council on this. I'm just saying. Anyway, the, the final meeting, the final vote was Friday, April 24th. And Dennis, for this clip, there's going to be a, like a 15-second pause in the middle, but just keep it running. So the first thing we're going to listen to is we're going to listen to 28th Ward Alderman Jason Irvin, who represents the west side of Chicago. And he's representing this issue that I talked about earlier, this issue of seeding uh, appropriation authority. And the first part of this clip is actually from the April 21st Budget Committee meeting where Irvin is questioning Mayor's Lightfoot's budget director, Susie Park. Let's listen to that. 50 million of the 470 million that in the first round of CARES money, what is the plan for the other approximate uh, $420 million that would remain specifically from that round of the CARES Act money, of which we have currently today in the city bank accounts, $470 million. The FEMA public assistance has definitely a period, and then anything thereafter, uh, we're going to need that CARES money to help sustain us. But again, you, you fully anticipate that there will be an excess potentially of $200 million that will be unspent and unobligated somewhere around the time where this ordinance is designed to close, which is June 30th. Is, is that a fair statement? As of June 30th, there will be uh, funds remaining that we will, um, you know, have to, you know, help support the response for the rest of the year. I would say she didn't answer the question. Anyway, uh, Irvin is saying that the ordinance potentially lets the administration decide how to spend $200 million left over from the federal funding. So then we're going to listen to at the city council meeting on April 24th. The question that I think we have to ask ourselves today is, with the balance of the CARES Act money. Sorry. Sorry about that, Dave. I actually hit the button. Dave, are you there? I'm still here. Yeah, sorry about that. I accidentally hit the button there. I can edit that out. Uh, there's more. Oh, there was more? Oh, there was the 15 That's seconds. That's what I said. There was that 15-second pause. Oh, that, my uh, goodness. Dave, you're good, man. I went, okay, so let's just uh, – I guess I'll play that again because you were talking in between that time, huh? Yeah. Boy, that that threw me for a loop. Okay. Uh, <laughs> dude, you're well, good. Let's, Holy let's, cow. Let's listen again to um, Alderman's, uh, Alderman Irvin's grilling of uh, Budget Director Susie Park at the April 21st budget. All right, here we go. Sorry about that, Dave. 50 million of the 470 million that in the first round of CARES money, what is the plan for the other approximate uh, $420 million that would remain specifically from that round of the CARES Act money, of which we have currently today in the city bank accounts, $470 million? The FEMA public assistance has definitely a period, and then anything thereafter, uh, we're going to need that CARES money to help sustain us. But again, you, you fully anticipate that there will be an excess potentially of $200 million that will be unspent and unobligated somewhere around the time where this ordinance is designed to close, which is June 30th. Is, is that a fair statement? As of June 30th, there will be uh, funds remaining that we will, um, you know, have to, you know, help support the response for the rest of the year. So Park is saying that there's probably going to be $200 million left over after the ordinance expires. And Ruben is saying, well, who's going to decide how to spend that? So he says it again at the city council meeting on April 24th. The question so, that I think we have to ask ourselves today is, with the balance of the CARES Act money, $470 million, which is what we have today, what is it that we do with that money? As a council, I believe that we should have the ability to appropriate those dollars and that not be strictly an executive decision. 
the decision to put money toward technology for our public school children or to create hotspots or the ability for us to dedicate funds to rental or mortgage relief. All of these items are, are something that should be subject to debate and subject to a vote by this body. These are items that should not just unilaterally be determined by the executive branch. I do not want to go to the table as a beggar. My constituents didn't send me down here to be a beggar. So I would just ask if we feel that it's okay to essentially give up our roles in directing where funds are going to be spent outside of the emergency. I mean, the after effects, the mortgage relief, the business relief, the technology needs. All of these are eligible expenses under the grant as stated on the website of the Department of Treasury. I believe that we should have not only a voice, but a vote in how those things are going to occur. He's kind of channeling his inner preacher, Ben, I think. Well, let, yeah, let me uh, just take a moment to just set things out here for people. That's Jason Irvin. He's the Auburn from the 28th Ward. And and what, a lot of things we're going to hear uh, in today's show, these clips, are aldermen who are adapting to what I would call new roles uh, in the Chicago City Council. Uh, and so Jason Irvin uh, has always been, well, when Rom was mayor, he was a Rom loyalist, and he generally voted Rom's way. Uh, and he was not the kind of guy that would get up and give denunciations of too much power in the hands of the mayor. Uh, now he finds himself playing a new role uh, in the, the Lori Lightfoot administration. He's the head of the uh, Black Caucus, the Caucus of Black Aldermen in the Chicago City Council. And many of the caucus members are irritated, to put it mildly, with what they think is a lack of response uh, on, on the part of Lori Lightfoot to meeting the needs of their constituents, dividing up the pie in such a way that it's more equitably distributed to poor black communities in the city of Chicago. And so over the last few months, Dave, uh, Jason Irvin has found himself, like I said, in a new role. We first saw this in the reefer bill, the, uh, the cannabis bill, where he was threatening to shut the whole thing down, delay legalization for about six months, unless the city made a more proactive effort to get black vendors involved in the process. So it, it, uh, it's a little bit new for me to hear uh, Jason Irvin uh, taking this role, but I have to say, I thought he did a great job there of articulating, explaining exactly what the issues are at stake. And notice it's a, excuse me, a very focused point that he's making just about this, you know, there's 200 mil going to be kicking around. Uh, we should have a say in, in spending that. And as we'll hear, there are other aldermen who make other points, but um, perhaps to his credit, he, he, like I said, he stays very focused on his objection, which makes it, you know, a little harder to, uh, to argue with. Yeah, and, and one more point uh, about Jason Irvin. His wife, Melissa Conyers Irvin, is the treasurer. She was newly elected in this last round. And she's not been a, 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 she's not afraid to speak up against uh, Lori Lightfoot. So somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, is Melissa Conyers Irvin going to run for mayor? I don't know. I just, way in the back of my mind, I think about these things uh, as I watch and listen to uh, uh, Alderman Irvin's new role. Well, those of us who are longtime observers can't help but try to connect dots, right? Yes, that's what we do. Dennis, we're going to do NITS next. And uh, Ben, you mentioned a minute ago that Jason Irvin was uh, in the forefront around the issue of equity for uh, potential growers of cannabis. That we know that in Chicagoland and perhaps in Illinois, most of the, if not all of the operators of cannabis dispensaries were white, white guys. And Irvin was on the forefront of saying, hey, how come none of these people are black? So the next person we're going to listen to addresses the equity issue around this ordinance, namely that some aldermen feel that the administration's pandemic-related expenditures to date, in terms of both products, and services like, you know, personal protection equipment, and in terms of contractors, minority versus white contractors, that the administration's expenditures had neglected the hardest hit black and brown communities in Chicago. 
So if they felt that it allowed them to pass this ordinance that boosted the administration's spending power, it would exacerbate this this disproportionate spending problem unless the ordinance had specific spending targets mm-hmm. for these communities in question. In question, but um, as I said, it did. So the clip we're going to listen to is from Alderman Emma Mitz of the 37th Ward on the west side, right next to Alderman Urban's ward. And again, she is speaking at the not at the city council meeting, but at the. April 21st budget committee meeting. And let's listen to her now. I have to tell you, though, this is one time that um, I've probably been more frustrated with government. And it's been really sad because I hear so much of the coronavirus and I know that we're in um, times that we haven't seen before. But our community is still relying on us to be transparent and to update them in every way, and all I hear is that how the virus is taken out, black folks, and I do know that I was black when I was born, and I'm black today, and when I see dollars being spent, I think that they should be where it's needed the most, in the black community, and that's what my community are saying, and when we have to not be transparent in the council between the legislative body in the executive body, I find problems there because government have always worked when we sit down and talk and work things out. I probably didn't want to say anything because when you're angry, you say the wrong thing. And I don't want to have to say the wrong thing, but I want to save people life. I want to be able to help where I can, but if we want to have dollars being spent, we need to know where those dollars are going and having input and decision-making. I've asked that we have meetings with the chairmen of various committees so we can discuss these issues. And I don't like getting to the day of to try to work out issues when it can simply be worked out on the front end. So I'm frustrated as to why we're moving in a direction that says emergency Friday. And on Monday, we have an ordinance that's been changed. But what's the emergency now? If we have all these emergencies, I'm overwhelmed because I've gotten so many phone calls this morning. It needs to be at 10 o'clock, the phone ringing. We should have taken care of this business before now. We are a body that can talk to one another. I'll leave my frustration and let my colleagues who wish to articulate their concerns. We have to do better moving forward. We have to do better in making sure that we're getting information from both the legislative body with the executive body so we can represent all the Emma Mitz from the 37th Ward on the, the west side. Uh, and Dave, Emma Mitz, as you know, again, this is for our listeners, is, has generally been uh, a, a loyalist to the mayor, very close ally of Rahm Emanuel, and uh, she's not actually uh, a dissident in the uh, the Lori Lightfoot regime either. So the fact that she was speaking out it just shows you how tenuous the ground was for Lori Lightfoot as she came uh, with this proposal uh, to try to win over black support. And let me just say, the city of Chicago has a horrible, and I mean horrible record, when it comes to equitably distributing its money. I've been writing about the TIF program for years. Dave Glowatz and I have been talking about the TIF program for years. There are many reasons to be upset with uh, how the TIF program is administered in Chicago. But one of the, at the top of the list, or or the top three anyway, I would say, is the fact that it's a program intended to help the poorest of the poor neighborhoods, and it largely goes to the richest of the rich. So this is the backdrop, Dave, when we talk essentially what is another TIF program, which is another mayoral-controlled fund of money. Some might even call it a slush fund, where the mayor is free to spend it as she wants. Now, this mayor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, has sworn up and down that she's going to do everything she can to make sure that the inequities of the past, which saw all that TIF money go to uh, wealthier, gentrifying Northside communities, uh, be spread out a little more equitably. But that's the backdrop that they're having this discussion about this new pot of money. So that's why I could sense the frustration even for a, 
uh, a mayoral loyalist like Emma Mitz. One of the things that <clears throat> perhaps stirs Alderman Mitz is the fact that this is uh, this, this inequity now is killing people. She, she uses the word, the virus is taking out black folks. Whereas in the past, the, the economic disparity that you were talking about, Ben, in terms of tax income and financing districts, you know, it's not, it's, it's certainly not as, it's certainly noticeable if you travel around Emmons' ward in Austin, you'll see a lot of empty storefronts and disinvestment, but it's not clear, you know, who's to blame for that. But when, you know, this virus comes and sweeps through her community, then, you know, that kind of gets your attention. And I don't know if, if you or your listeners could hear it in her voice, but she's pretty, she sounds angry and sad. And she even says that she's she she's being careful because when people people are angry, they say things they shouldn't say. Mm-hmm. But she said that uh, she she needs to save lives, and she's not sure that uh, the mayoral message of needing this power to address an emergency is a valid one. Because she said, "Where is the emergency if we're given the final ordinance?" And this is what happened. They were given, the aldermen were given final language on the ordinance the same day that they were to, to vote on it in the budget committee on April 21st. And some aldermen thought that was um, <laughs> not cool. So uh, she, she talks about how frustrated she is. But I have to note that she voted yes. I was going to say, yeah. Full city council meeting on the ordinance. Uh, push come to shove. Uh, Emma Mitz, it's going to take a lot for her to break with the mayor. Uh, and she voted yes. So, All right, what's your next clip? Dennis, we're going to do Rosa next. Yeah, then even, so it it, asks, it really invites the question that you and I have talked about before. What did the administration have to do to get her vote? We don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, was it, did they have to do anything, you know? Uh, it's an interesting question that I wish we had the answer to, and perhaps some investigating journalist will uh, will find that out. But someone who did not vote for the emergency powers ordinance was Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa of the 35th Ward, which is in the northwest side. Logan Square is a big part of his um, his area, and let's hear what he had to say. In response to our attempts to amend this ordinance to include an equity lens. We have been told to trust this mayor. I must remind my colleagues that in this nation, policymakers put their trust in laws, not people. At the federal level, we have seen the disastrous effects of policies that put their trust in one sole executive. And here in Chicago, we have seen the disastrous effects of when we trust the mayor to be Chicago's sole decision maker and authority. Mayor Lightfoot has unilateral control of our schools, and teachers had to go on strike for 11 days to win basic necessities for our children, like nurses. Mayor Lightfoot has unilateral control over the issuance of demolition permits, and we have seen what happened with Helco, where a failure in this administration's demolition oversight left Little Village residents covered in debris and dust. As Chicago's teachers, parents, and students learned just months ago, when it comes to this mayor, you have to put it in writing. And so we have sought to put into writing guarantees that an equity lens will be applied to federal emergency dollars. That reasonable request was maligned, ignored, and dismissed. The other night, Carol Marine said this power grab is reminiscent of Emmanuel and Daly, and that caucus pushback and council pushback was rational. Mike Dumke said that we are elected officials and that what we are saying is this is supposed to be a democracy. This is supposed to be good government. That's something that this mayor campaigned on. There has been a mistruth that has been said about this ordinance. It's been said that it's needed in order to buy PPE expeditiously. Multiple municipal procurement experts, as well as the legal counsel of the city council at the budget committee, made it very clear that that is simply false. The mayor has the power that she has right now to procure PPE. She's been doing it. So to say that this ordinance and not voting for it is somehow blocking PPE to the hardest hit communities and to our health professionals is a lie. 
It was a lie created at the last minute to try and push this forward. I urge my colleagues to vote no. I urge my colleagues to say yes to equity, true oversight, for us to do our jobs and not abdicate our responsibility to meet as a council to have oversight over this city's purse. That's Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, 35th Ward. He's been on the show many times, probably be on the show real soon. Uh, he was elected in 2015 uh, as an independent, as somebody who would uh, stand up to then Mayor Mayor Rahm on issues of how we distribute money throughout the city. He's a Democratic Socialist. He's a Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, he supported Tony Preckwinkle in the race against Lori Lightfoot. Uh, Dave, I think we have to mention that. Uh, as such, he was one of the more uh, upfront voices championing Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, of course, defeated Tony like with 75% of the vote. It was a landslide. And so in many ways, she started uh, off on a rough, rough spot with Lori Lightfoot, who's shown she doesn't really tolerate, have a lot of tolerance, Dave, for uh, aldermen who criticize her. And uh, we, when we've had him on the show, uh, Carlos has always been very diplomatic in what he has to say uh, regarding Lori Lightfoot. I'm always pushing him, Doug, come on, what do you really think? And he's always, he kind of holds back, but he was not holding back uh, on that point. He was making his uh, position very clear. Uh, that you got to put it in writing. A lesson learned, he said, from the Chicago uh, teacher strike. Got to put it in writing. Teachers wanted to strike to force Mayor Lightfoot to put it in writing uh, to hire more nurses. Boy, does that seem like ancient history, huh, Dave? So very forceful, uh, passionate speech from Carlos. Go ahead, Dave. This idea of him not holding back, that's one of the things that struck me about his comments when you compare them to the other clips we've listened to where the aldermen who spoke before were very careful not to make what some might call ad hominem attacks against the mayor to to keep it on a sort of factual uh, level. And he <laughs> arguably is not trying to be diplomatic. And uh, it's a I don't know if he's going to win any hearts and minds in the administration no. by going yeah. that way. No, he's there. Does he seem concerned with winning hearts and minds? Yeah, he he he's he's essentially asserting a point of view that I hear from a lot of activists with the Chicago Teachers Union, and that is uh, that when you deal with any powerful mayor, and Lori Lightfoot would be no different than Rahm Emanuel, you have to get that mayor to back up his or her commitments in writing in a contract, and so turning over this kind of authority to the mayor, uh, you lose all leverage any leverage you would have on the mayor to do the right thing. Now, Lori Lightfoot would argue that you could expect her to do the right thing because that's she's as much a progressive as Carlos. That's what she would say. Uh, and uh, But that that's the terms of the debate. Will Lori Lightfoot do the right thing with this money uh, if the city council does not have a, a leverage over her? Dennis, we're going to do a sick show next. Yeah, Ben, it's, uh, I guess I was addressing the question of style, like, you know, the old saying... When they go low, we go high. Uh, other Monrosa doesn't seem to be concerned with pissing off the mayor because uh, I guess we're already there. Yes. So uh, another opponent of the emergency powers ordinance that we're going to listen to was Alderman Byron Sigcho Lopez, who is of the 25th Ward on the near south side, and whose ward includes Pilsen and Chinatown. And let's listen to what he had to say. I heard from my colleagues about the importance of co-governance. And this is not co-governance. For way too long, we have had a city that was dominated by the elites, by corporations and developers. Those are the same actors that want to continue to run the city without accountability, leaving behind people of color, black and brown communities that today are suffering. You all know the necessities of black communities who have been disproportionately affected by this virus, this pandemic, undocumented residents that are yet to receive necessary support. Families are suffering for hunger, cannot pay the rents, they cannot afford their mortgages, and they need answers. This is the time that we come together. This is the time that we govern with integrity, with responsibility, with unity. The people of Chicago did not vote for unilateral decisions. They voted for accountability and transparency. We cannot go back to the times where there were one mayor overseeing everything and a rubber stamp council. We can no longer go back to those times when unilateral decisions impose 
a horrific parking meter system that privatized our parking system and disproportionately affect people of color. The last thing I'd like to say is that on April 19th, we also sent a letter with amendments that we wanted to consider. I welcome my colleagues who have been pushing for more amendments that only happened after the council mobilized that we're able to get some amendments for a sunset date to make sure that we don't let companies to contract without economic disclosure statements. By the way, we still not have gotten a response on those amendments. And that's the reason why I urge you to vote no, to vote to make sure that we have co-governance. This is not the time to leave blank checks to anyone. And this is a matter of issues. This is not personal. We can no longer continue with these personal attacks when something doesn't go our way. This is the time to be the leaders and lead by example. This is a time for compassion, for collaboration and co-governance. But that is Alderman Byron Sixer Lopez, 25th Ward. Uh, and I just plays, wanna... par plays the parking meter card, doesn't he? Yes, he plays the parking meter card. And for a long time, listeners to the Ben Jarofsky show, you're probably thinking, wait a minute, isn't that Laureen Targo's husband? Yes, it is. One of our favorite guests, Laureen Targo, CPA, scientist, activist, and uh, political strategist. And yes, she is. Uh, he he is married to Laureen. So yes, and they've been on the show together a couple times, Dave. So that's why some of our listeners might know him. Unspoken in what he's saying, uh, it's interesting how the uh, the the switch has been flipped, Dave. You and I have had this discussion slash debate for a long time. Uh, yes, Lori Lightfoot uh, was elected on a platform of reform, but c bizarrely, in my humble opinion. One of the chief reforms that she was promoting and one that was embraced by virtually everybody in the city of Chicago except for me was this notion that the great plague hurting our city was aldermanic prerogative in which aldermen were the kings or queens of zoning uh, and land use in their wards. Uh, I've always thought that was a myth. I thought that was completely exaggerated and distorted and uh, successfully used by Lori Lightfoot to gain even more power. And so effectively, Lori Lightfoot is arguing that in part, when she gives herself more power, more authority, she's reforming Chicago. It's an upside-down argument. It's counterintuitive. But listen, so many Chicagoans signed on to the automatic prerogative uh, nonsense that, to a certain degree, she's able to get away with it. And I must say that during the uh, city council debate on April 24th, which we're listening to, those words did not come up, aldermanic prerogative. That the, the larger issue of sort of the, the purview of the legislative branch versus the purview of the executive branch is the fundamental issue that aldermen were arguing about. And certainly, as, as you say, the Automatic prerogative issue is is in that landscape, but I think aldermen at the city council meeting were, were arguing a more fundamental thing. And I want to point out that uh, in his remarks, Alderman Sixto Lopez said that he thought personal attacks in this realm should stop. And I wasn't clear, and I'm still not clear, since he spoke after Alderman Rosa, who, as I said, uh, <laughs> was not holding back with uh, saying this and that about the mayor personally. Um, was he talking about Rosa or was he talking about Lightfoot in terms of personal attacks? And I say that because after Alderman did this thing, uh, uh, Rosa and four other aldermen did this parliamentary maneuver, maneuver on the first city council, the first attempt at a city council meeting on April 22nd, Mayor Lightfoot went into a press conference where she attacked the five aldermen mm -hmm. who caused the, or who caused her to recess the, um, the meeting. And I'll just quote uh, what she was, uh, what was reported. She said in her conference, she said, quote, Dear Lord, in the middle of a pandemic where everyday life and death are hanging in the balance, enough with a selfish political stunt. And she was talking about this move by the five aldermen to essentially say, we move to do what's called defer and publish this ordinance when it came up for a vote. And when 
that's done, that means that the vote automatically, the, the move, whatever's being proposed, automatically gets delayed till the next city council meeting. And so the mayor decided to call the next city council meeting, which has to be a minimum of 48 hours later. And so that's what she did. Anyway, she called uh, Rosa's um, moves embarrassing. So again, I don't, I'm not sure whether other than Sucho Lopez, when he was saying we must stop the personal attacks, I don't know who he was talking about. It could have gone either way. Uh, my guess, again, if I had to put money in Vegas, I haven't talked to Byron in a while, but I guess he was uh, directing his comments at Lori Lightfoot. Uh, and he and Lori Lightfoot have gotten into this in the past a little bit. Uh, if you recall, Lori Lightfoot made some remarks that someone could interpret as disparaging regarding development in Pilsen, saying uh, it's a it's a better, stronger neighborhood than it was before the gentrification really kicked in. She made those remarks. I think it was in New York. And uh, by chance, Byron was on my show, right? The day after, uh, Dave, it was just by happenstance. Uh, and so he was critical of those remarks. And um, uh, he had some back and forth with Lori Lightfoot or, and uh, aides and advisors to Lori Lightfoot. Uh, so he's experienced uh, Lori's wrath. This is something I concentrate uh, on my story. Lori Lightfoot is really starting to, uh, to remind me in many ways, not so much of Rom, but of Richard M. Daly. Well, that would be the mayor before Rom for youngsters out there. And uh, Dave, when we first started doing our podcast together, he was the mayor. We did our podcast for four years under Daly. Isn't that something? That's how long we've been talking about politics together. Uh, there, was, there was no shortage. That, that was what I would call a target-rich environment. Yeah, there was a lot of material. And uh, he had an explosive temper. Uh, and he d- did not have much patience with people who dared to criticize his program. <laughs> and he would be known to go off uh, on Alderman from time to time. And it's, it's just a sort of similarity in styles between Lori Lightfoot uh, and uh, Richard M. Daly. Uh, and this is a classic, by the way, what uh, Lori Lightfoot, the card she played that you were talking to, to, uh, to talk about the seriousness of the pandemic and to sort of diminish or marginalize or trivialize the uh, the counterpoints raised by uh, Ramirez Rosa and Irvin as saying they're trivializing uh, the matter and they're endangering lives. Uh, it's not that unsimilar to what uh, J.B. Pritzker did today uh, when his press conference, when he was regard- responding to the uh, lawsuit by State Representative Bailey that challenged his ability to call... Uh, issue ordinance, uh, issue a statewide order commanding people to stay in their homes and not go to their businesses. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, in times of crises, presidents, governors, and mayors uh, are not afraid to paint uh, their opponents as sort of dangerous uh, uh, people who are hurting the public good. Ben, uh, we're going to do Smith next. Yeah, Ben, it's almost, uh, you know, in the toolbox, it's almost uh, foolish for someone in their position to overlook that tool. Yeah. It's the obvious one to use, right? Absolutely. And I want to mention one more thing that um, Alderman Sixto Lopez talked about. is He, he said that uh, he and others sent a letter to the administration that proposed amendments to the emergency powers ordinance. And he said there was no response. But there was one thing that uh, evidently the administration did change in between the draft of the ordinance and the um, the final version that was handed out or that was approved. I talked earlier about this uh, um, economic disclosure statement that the ordinance says that contractors can delay submitting for up to two months. Well, in the original version, the draft version, which I got my hands on, it said they didn't have to file them at all. So that was something that uh, Lopez, perhaps Lopez and uh, Lopez and others got the um, administration to do. Uh, next, we're going to listen to someone who actually voted for the ordinance, but uh, this is Alderman Michelle Smith of the 43rd Ward, who represents Lincoln Park. And when she um, was uh, talking about this ordinance in the uh, April 21st budget committee, committee meeting, she addressed the issue of why would 
what, what's the big deal of allowing the council to to have a say in pandemic-related legislation? And she was she was asking this of the the um, administration's representatives. And um, let's hear what she had to say at that meeting. What impediments do you see, if any, to allowing the decisions that are being made now under this ordinance to be put up for ratification at the next regularly scheduled meeting of city council? Why couldn't we provide that these decisions that the city is making, if they were otherwise subject to city council approval in a non-emergency, be subject to some sort of a ratification vote? I know you're asking your question generally and uh, using the EDS as an example. Uh, I, at least looking at that, I can tell you that the purpose of that provision is a bit of a safety net because as I understand it, the city has been able to collect 90% plus of EDSs in a timely manner, just as if we were doing it the usual way. So I think provisions like that simply vest the party charged with administering it with the ability to provide a little flexibility. And I think what you're suggesting might run the risk of bringing a whole bunch of small kind of administrative speed bumps before the city council on a regular basis. What would be the legal obstacles in your view of requiring the city's decisions, which are largely purchasing decisions, to be put up for ratification before city council? Are there legal issues with that? I would need to think a little more closely on that. Nothing jumps out at me, but what I can say is that this ordinance in itself serves as the ratification, just on a less granular level than you are speaking to. Okay. Well, thank you for that answer. Yeah, that's sir. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. The person Alder Smith is talking with is Deputy Corporation Counsel Jeff Levine. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he says the word EDS, which is what I was talking about earlier, the economic disclosure statements. He essentially dodged her question when she asked what, what would keep the administration from going to the city council on what are essentially purchasing decisions. But then later on, he says, well, you know, there are things that we need to do quickly, which has been the persistent argument for why the, um, the council needs this. And... You know, you made this, made this question earlier, Ben, is like, you can't figure out why the administration is pushing this. Why, you know, why does it, does it need this power, which when, this, when the city council can now, thanks to video conferencing, can meet, you know, within 24 hours, if needed, to approve something. And I want to point out that this fellow, Jeff Levine, he's also deputy corporation counsel during the Emanuel administration. And as someone, myself, as someone who has gone to many, many city council meetings and budget committee meetings, he is often the person that is sitting uh, advising the committee chairs and sometimes the mayor when the pesky aldermen start to question things. He's sort of like the the administration whisperer, perhaps you want to call it. And so he's, he's the guy who was in this budget committee meeting making that point or defending that point that we need to be nimble on, uh, on these emergency expenditures. Yeah, no, I know exactly uh, what the, the role he played. I love this is one of my favorite part of any uh, hearing where the lawyer uh, le leans over and whispers into the ear of uh, <laughs> the alderman and straight out of the Godfather too, by the way, where uh, Robert Duvall would be whispering into the the ear of uh, Michael Corleone. Not saying that the people who run our city of Chicago are mobsters, just saying the, the whisperer at a hearing uh, is something that a lot of people link to that movie. Yeah, uh, listen. Um, that this is their this is their claim. They have to be able to just write that check, boom, on a moment's notice, without worrying about the Chicago City Council, and uh, without having to uh, explain why they're writing the check. 
at that moment to who they're writing the check to, whether it conforms with all the rules and the regulation governing the writing of the checks. This is a pandemic. This is an emergency. Lives are at stake. So the rules are out the window. And anybody who says we have to adhere to the old rules, anybody who says that the city council uh, warrants a say in the matter to make sure that the funds are being equitable, uh, equitably distributed is endangering the livelihood of Chicagoans. So shut up and give the mayor the power. That's essentially the argument they're making, Dave. Uh, but I said it a little more forcefully than they did. <laughs> well, I think perhaps Alderman Rosa might agree with that. And there are some aldermen who uh, react very strongly to being um, told to shut up. And Dennis, we're going to do Lopez next. That's our and, last one, um, Raymond Lopez. Yeah. <laughs> And this is where we uh, depart a little bit from talking about perhaps government and legislative operations and just talk about how um, a particular alderman, namely Alderman Ray Lopez of the 15th Ward, which is um, near Englewood and uh, adjoining parts of the south side, um, what is it, back of the yards, is the neighborhood that I'm trying to think of, back of the yards. Um, he, at the end of the meeting, just raised, after all the other business had been done, he raised what he called a point of personal privilege. And let's listen what, this is an exchange between him and the mayor. Let's listen to that. In accordance with Rule 13, I'd like to invoke my right for personal privilege at this time. What is the nature of your, uh, your motion, sir? As it states in the rules, this allows me the opportunity to discuss when matters of a member's integrity, character, or motives have been assailed, questioned, or impugned, and I wish to address that matter at this time. And sir, during the course of this proceeding, how has your integrity been assailed? Madam President, that is not up for debate. It is my right per our rules and procedure to invoke this at this time. I believe that you have to have a basis within the, um, the confines of this meeting, and you have to articulate that. Otherwise, I'm going to rule your motion out of order. It is not according to our rules, as I quote, the right of a member to address the council on a question of personal privilege shall be limited to cases in which his integrity, character, or motives are assailed, questioned, or impugned. It does not state it has to be in this meeting. It has to be on topic of which I have a topic. So I'm invoking my right to address that here in this body because my reputation, as well as the reputation and character of several members of this body have been impugned and I demand my right per our rules to address this matter publicly. That's Alderman Austin. Austin. I'm questioning in regards to Alderman uh, Lopez, in regards to his, his, he and several others' rights being impugned, but were they done in this body? And I believe that uh, based upon the previous question I asked, the answer was no. And the rules and do not require it to be as such, Madam President. It does not state I'm that it has to be in chamber which is why Alderman Lopez, I'm, I'm going to roll you out of order. Then I appeal the decision of the chair to the body. <laughs> and that, uh, that went to a roll call vote, which he lost. And so what he's talking about is what then you and I were talking about earlier, that these five aldermen who uh, deferred and published the emergency powers ordinance that caused the mayor to delay the council meeting for two days. And then she uh, called them um, selfish. Yeah. Um, he's reacting to that. He, that he, I think that he didn't actually ever get to say it because uh, he wasn't allowed to make his speech. But we're pretty sure that's what he was talking about. Yeah. There's comments about those aldermen. Yeah. I, 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 I got to tell you, I'm all over the map with this one. Uh, on one hand, I know I've written so many columns critical of uh, Chicago politicians down through the years, and then I get ripped. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the commentators that they they weigh in and they make all kinds of <laughs> say all kinds of mean, nasty things about me. But Dave, that's what you know, if you're gonna put up, you got if you're gonna give it out, you gotta take it to a certain degree. You get you know, there's some lines that get crossed and it's it's uh, dangerous. But by and large, you just gotta let it play. So Ray well, it's interesting that the dynamic has changed thanks to this. Um, video conferencing thing. Arguably, this kind of exchange would not have been, um, I don't know if it's, it would have been possible, but I don't think it would have developed in that way if they were in council chamber. This, this video conferencing allows this, this sort of um, 
because when someone starts talking, their image takes over the screen yeah. and it, it has a presence. That it, it's, and it, it, my point is it's a dynamic that's very yeah. different from the live city council. Well, he could have raised it at the council. But my point, let me finish my point. It's like, so, you know, he says things, mean, nasty things about Lori Light, Lightfoot. She says mean, nasty things about him. That's fair game for politics in Chicago. So I'm like, yeah. But, you know, I believe she should have let him talk and put it out there because one of the, as I said, one of the developing traits about uh, life, the the way Lori Lightfoot deals with her opponents is she's not afraid to trash them. And so he's saying, let's talk about it. And what does she do? She, you know, she does a virtual uh, Mayor Daly, and the old man Mayor Daly would turn off your microphone. That ends that. <laughs> that and then it's so ironic. One of her big allies is Dick Simpson, who used to be a liberal alderman from the north side of Chicago. But back in the day, I remember Daly uh, Simpson was ra- uh, railing against Mayor Richard uh, J. Daly, old man Daly, and Daly had the um, Sergeant of Arms force him into his chair. So, you know, it's sort of like a virtual play on that where. You know, she denies him his right to raise the issue he wants to raise. She rules him out of order. So she's got the authority, Dave, because she's the chair of the meeting to cut off conversation and discussion that might, you know, shed light on maybe her inappropriate behavior uh, in the way she treats Alderman. And they voted with her. So I guess that was uh, indicative of how the vote was going to go. Plus, yeah, go ahead. Mm hmm. The, there's an element what you just said. They voted. They voted with her, meaning the other aldermen. That means that there's an element of democracy presence here that wasn't present when Old Man Daly would shut off somebody's microphone. In this case, uh, Lopez, knowing the rules of the city council, he said, "I appeal the decision of the chair," which yeah. means it automatically goes to a vote. And of course, it was a. It was a very lopsided vote. It wasn't even close on whether to shut him down. Well, you know, but, but uh, there was a vote. There was a vote, and let's put it this way: uh, I was talking about this with K- Ken Davis, and he was talking about hills that you're going to die on. Uh, so the, all these aldermen, just folks, if anybody believes aldermanic prerogative is real in the city of Chicago, here it is: one alderman appealing to all his aldermanic brothers and sisters, come to my aid as the big bad mayor uh, maligns me, vote with me so I can address the mayor. And they go, nope, we're sticking with the mayor. So it just shows you where all the power lies, Dave. The power. Yeah, is- but you know, I I want to push back on that a little bit because. Mind you, this is at the end of the meeting, and they're sitting there for hours talking about substantive issues. And I don't know, every, everybody knows that well, I'm going to withdraw that remark. Um, <laughs> there, is, uh, there is a certain amount of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of done, you know, yeah. attitude at this point. And, and everybody gets it. He already kind of said enough that everybody gets what's, you know, what's going to come next. And, if I was an alderman, I'd be more interested in, in going home. listening to something more substantive. <laughs> going home. It's at the end of the meeting. I want to go home. All right, I'll put it to you this way. We're going to make one. And they already are home. We're, we're, yeah, that's true. Turning <laughs> off and watching Last Dance. I want to watch the Bulls documentary. All right. They are already home. I'll put it to you this way, but we'll never be able to know this. Uh, would the vote have been any different had it been the first matter on the agenda? And the answer is no, a resounding N-O. I put it- well, I'm not saying that, that they were impatient to go to get off the call. I'm saying that there's enough going on that needs uh, careful attention. This would not be high on my list of one of those things. All right, all right fair enough. Now, let's get down to uh, – that's it. We've played all our, uh, our bits that you dutifully collected for us. Thank you very much. Uh, so now we're getting to that, that moment we've been waiting for. Dave Coats is going to have a big decision to make. Everybody that comes on this show <laughs> is asked, how would you vote if you were in the city council? I already said I would have voted no. I would have voted against the mayor, giving the mayor the authority. Kenny Davis, my dear friend, said he would have voted with the mayor. He think, didn't think that would be the hill worth dying on. Peter P.C. Cunningham said he would have voted with the mayor. He generally thinks mayors should have this kind of authority. 
So Dave Glowatz, how would you have voted? I think I'm going to duck and dodge on this one because you know, being a journalist who uh, has, has this deep uh, city council uh, reporting, yeah. I don't think it's my place to say this is my position on uh, matters of policy and governance. Fair enough. <laughs> but having said that, yeah. I'll say you. I'll say that you know how I would have done. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> Ah, uh, I w- the old Dave Gloatz used to interview me, man. This guy was left of left, but no, I respect this uh, new position you have. And yes, keep it to yourself, uh, and don't let anybody. That's between in. you and. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, all right, Dave. This is a blast. I love doing these uh, city council bits with you, and uh, uh, keep up the good work. And we'll do another one. I don't know next month. All right. Oh, I forgot there's one more question that I that I think is one of the most important questions I could have. What's that? Can you hook me up with a haircut? <laughs> you, uh, yeah, I happen to know somebody who cuts hair, but she's respecting uh, the restrictions that uh, Governor Pritzker and Mayor Lightfoot have imposed, so you're going to have to wait a while, like everyone else. I think even Mayor Lightfoot's not getting haircuts anymore. My girl, I would... <laughs> All right. All right. Well, yeah, she is. She's not going to, certainly not going to let people take photos of <laughs> I see. Uh, yeah. All right, Dave Glowatz, you take care, and uh, we'll talk to you real soon, all right? It's been a pleasure. That's great, Dave Glowatz. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone. <laughs>